take our Bibles. If you have them, please open to the Gospel of Mark. We continue our study. The story picks up in verses 16 to 28 today. It was about 10 years ago, I was driving home from <coughs> Clarksville, <coughs> excuse me, you know, I went to junior high and high school in Clarksville, Tennessee. My parents were there until they uh, passed away, and I was making the drive home after a visit with them. I've made this drive a hundred times, hundreds of times. You know, the, I just memorize it, coming, coming back home on 24, going past Springfield. You go down a little hill, and you kind of go through a little valley area for a while, and I'm driving along, and suddenly I look in my rearview mirror, and there are the blue lights. You know what that feels like. It does not feel good. I thought, well, check the speed. I was not speeding. It was still daylight. Um, I thought, there's no lights on. I don't have a light out or anything. Um, turns out I'm, I'm pulled over, and uh, it's not a state trooper. Uh, it is a deputy with the Cooperstown Police Department. And he proceeded to cite me for not using my blinker to change lanes on the interstate. I've always told my kids, anytime, you know, you get pulled over or something, it, you know, and it should be this way all the time, but especially it's yes or no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, no lip, no attitude, no anything. And I was having a hard time in that moment <laughs> with that, you know, and he handed me this ticket for $300 and a date to return to Cooperstown and give up an evening at driver school to get it removed from my record. I hate telling that story because now I'm just worked up you know, about Cooperstown. And I love telling the story because I want to slam Cooperstown, Tennessee every chance I can. I'm sorry if you're from there. Um, actually, I share it because it points to a, a, a strange relationship all of us have with something. It's inescapable. Uh, I'm thinking about our attitudes and our responses toward authority. Now, when the blue lights are in front of you, you know, I don't know, I, I, I feel, right? And then I also feel gratitude. Get the guy, you know, bad guy or whatever. I feel protected. If they're behind you, you know, your stomach sinks. Sometimes my kids are doing pictures in the back and they'll hit a flash and, you know, my heart just jumps, you know, because the light pops in the back. I'm thinking, oh my gosh. Well, our responses to authority can differ based upon just how much authority we perceive someone has. So it's, you know, we perceive they have authority and our response to them, our attitude can be different. You know, I have never seen anyone um, throw a disgusting look or, uh, or yell at, you know, or you know, flip the bird at any of the police officers out here uh, on Franklin Road. But I cannot say the same. Uh, for the guys dressed in orange who are trying to help us get parked. And in fact, a month ago, uh, I asked them to wear GoPros on their vest. That we might look and go, okay, this is how some view authority. I want you to take a look at this video. Not, <laughs> right? That's... That's me! Oh my gosh, I did that. Oh boy. Yeah, so I was waiting for someone to stand up and walk out maybe. Huh? Well, the question the text is going to ask us is this. It's going to say, just how authoritative is Jesus' authority? It's going it's it's to ask us. The characters are going to answer it, but they're not going to answer it with words. Because it can't be answered with words. It can only be answered by your life. 
and the choices that you make. Last week, we ended with this amazing statement. Michael took us through those verses where Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. The wait is over. Now, that's a high point, by the way. You talk about expectations. The Jews are going, yes! Now, watch where Mark takes them and us. Verse 16. As he was going along, Jesus going along by the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee. This is, this is it. 17 miles long, about seven miles wide at the widest point. You can stand anywhere on the Sea of Galilee and see basically on a, from a high point, you can see the whole thing. So Jesus is walking along by the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net, circular nets they'd throw out. You know how they drop down, they pull it up and catch the minnows and fish and things like that. For they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in, in the boat mending their nets, different type of net they were working on fixing. It's a larger net. Immediately, he called them, said the same things we assume, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. Now, I did not see that coming. I don't think the Jews saw that coming. You got to understand, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. What are the Jews expecting? Yes. And what does Jesus go do? He walks along the shore and he starts recruiting fishermen to follow him. What? What's Mark doing? I mean, we're here and now we're here in a sense emotionally. He's showing us that Messiah is not wielding a metal sword that will pierce Roman armor. What's he saying? Oh, Messiah is wielding a sword, but what's the sword of Jesus? His word. Watch that through the story. It's, his word is the sword, and it pierces the human heart and transforms it. I'm always struck by this story. I don't know about you, but man, I read this. Every gospel account I read it in, I just walk away going, that is so odd. I mean, let's get real. D does that really happen? I mean, is someone, you know, Scott's at his desk and someone comes along and says, Scott, follow me. And Scott just quits his job and gets up. I mean, it feels like, I don't watch this stuff, but it feels like a sci-fi, you know, on, on Netflix or some channel, you know, it feels like the walking dead. Like, it's like Jesus said to them something and they went, And they follow him. I mean, this is the way it reads. What really happened? I mean, what really happened? We'll get to that in a moment. Let's take verse 17. It is a synopsis of discipleship. We're all called to be disciples, so I could say it like this. There is no clearer, more succinct statement of the Christian life. Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. This is the Christian life for all of us. Let's take each phrase briefly and just think about it. Follow me is literally come after me. Uh, there is no rigmarole. There's no juggling of this. It, it is what you think. If I walked up to you and said, follow me, you're not going to go, what did he mean by that? You're going to follow, walk behind. Notice Jesus calls us to himself. We're called to a person. Not a philosophy, uh, not a list that we're going to, you, you know, follow this list and do these things. We're called to the person of Christ. 
you know, when you're called to a person, note this. That, you know, there's a lot that involves, but it always comes down at least to this. The better you know the person, the more closely you will follow. That's pretty simple. And it, it's absolutely true. The more you know the person, the more closely you will follow. Uh, he says, I will make you become. So let's, let's note this. Follow me and I will make you become. That means it's not going to happen overnight. That means you, you just not mature, you know, mature in the faith. That's our mission, help you mature in faith. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. It's a process of becoming. What I don't want you to miss is there is our responsibility and there's Jesus's responsibility. The order of this statement makes all the difference in the world. Don't confuse them. What is our responsibility. Say it out loud. What's our responsibility according to Jesus? Follow him. What's Jesus's responsibility? What's he going to do? He's going to make us become fishers of men. He's going to, he, don't, don't miss this. You, you can't change your life. You can't change your heart. You can't change it. But Jesus will, you see, he takes responsibility for our transformation. When I was in college, two summers I spent in Memphis, Tennessee, working for my Uncle Bill. Lived with Uncle Bill in Anila and my cousin Paige. Uh, we, uh, I, I was on job sites all summer. He was an electrical contractor. And so I would be on the job site as an electrical assistant and you know, just labor you know, for that. And then I would spend a lot of hours in a truck delivering tools and, and, and parts to job sites. But when the weekend came around, uh, me and Uncle Bill, we would take his John boat, we would put it on top of his Ford Bronco, the old ones, the cool ones. I mean, it was so neat. Throw that John boat on top of the old Bronco and we would head south into Mississippi and we hit creeks, streams, ponds, lakes, and he taught me to bass fish. I grew up fishing, I mean, but I had never been a bass fisherman. Uh, you know, I, I fished with minnows, corn, stinky bait, whatever, catch a fish, crickets. But I'd never fished with artificial bait, a plastic worm, to specifically catch bass. And I'll never forget, you know, we're, we're, down, we're on a pond or lake, and he would show me how to hook it, because you have to hook a plastic worm a certain way, using certain poles, and, you know, you generally cast them toward the shore, and he'd show me how, you know, to cast towards a log, and say, this was the log, and you want to cast your line past the log, and then you want to slowly pull the worm over the log. And then the, the worm falls off the log like a real worm, you know, goes down. And when that happens, the, 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 you've got your line there and you can see your line. because you have. And, and if a fish is there, your line will go like this. I'm telling you, it makes my heart flutter now. I mean, it just goes, you guys like fish or whatever, but it's just so like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And now when that, that goes, I'd grown up fishing with bobbers. What do you do when the bobber goes under? You know, you pull it up. So it goes, I jerk. He goes, no, 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 no. Here's, here's what you gotta do when you're, when you're fishing like this. The, the fish is taking the worm in its mouth. You gotta let it go. So, so I, you know, do it again, whatever. I'm ready to pull the pole. He says, no, lower your pole to the water. And then you watch the line literally move across the water because the fish has the worm in its mouth. It's going, and I'm thinking, he says, wait, wait. And then he goes now and he says, pull the pole up as fast as you can. Bam! And you pull the pole up, the hook goes out of the worm and goes in the fish's mouth. It grows some of y'all out, whatever. That's how you catch bass. 
I love it to this day. I, I did not become a bass fisherman just going out and fishing myself. I'm gonna tell you how I became a bass fisherman by spending time with my uncle Bill who showed me how, who literally said, do it like this, who said, no, not like that. Try it again. Let's go again. And I had an amazing two summers that stay, stays with me even to this day. This is how Jesus makes us become fishers of of men, time with him, process, relationship. He says, fishers of men. Here's the, the end, you see. I can summarize this pretty succinctly. What does this mean, we're fishers of men? Uh, how do you know you're following Jesus? Well, here's, here's some ways. People matter more than things. Follow me, I will make you become fishers of men. It's about the hearts and souls of people. How do you know you're following Jesus? Well, uh, your material possessions begin to pale. Things, it's just they don't mean what they meant because what really means something to you, it's the hearts and souls of people. How do you know you're following Jesus? Well, your career, your life decisions, the choices you make are shaped less by the promotion, by the climbing the ladder by the increased salary, by the wealth accumulated, or by success as the culture defines it. It's, it's defined less and less by that and more and more, literally. I don't care what business you're in, what job you do, what, it's shaped by this. What will most glorify God? And God is glorified in redeeming lost humanity and serving the less fortunate. And that begins to shape the path of your life. Oh, how do you know you're following Jesus? Those things will be true because Jesus will make them true in your life. So Lord, are you saying we all need to quit our jobs, drop out of school and follow Jesus? Well, let me ask you to think about it in this way. Because I, I think I've actually said that some other times. I, I, I can't say that. I, I think this would be a more appropriate way to approach this. There's an echo of Genesis 2.24 in the passage. Now, you're going to know this verse when I say it. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. What does that have to do with this? Think about this. Uh, there's this leave, cleave in marriage. There's this leave, cleave in the passage that Jesus invites us to. In leaving in marriage, you sever the cords of dependence upon parents. That relationship with parents changes forever. If it doesn't, you got a problem, <laughs> you see. And then there's the cleaving because you cleave, you stick like glue to this one person for the rest of your life. Um, every other relationship in the world doesn't touch this one nor come between this one, you see. And so here, the one who follows Christ chooses to sever relationships, cords of financial security or, 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 or relational, you know, previous relationships, relational commitments, vocational success, you sever the cords. There's nothing wrong with any of those things, okay? You don't neglect them, by the way. But, you know, Peter... We're going to use Peter's boat later on. It's not like he got rid of everything. He, he's got a house, you know. It's not total disregard. But it is this. Your relationship to all those things 
has been permanently altered and you know it in your gut. That's it. Do you know it in your, it's changed. It's, it's not what it was, nor will it ever be, you see. That's what happens when you follow Christ. If we drill down to the bedrock, by the way, of what they, what they, what they gave up, um, I think we find what ultimately makes this choice so difficult. Um, because no amount of money can buy it and no relationship can guarantee it. When they followed Christ, they gave up control. Ooh. <laughs> See, you can't follow and be in control. You know, Satan can only deceive us, and I wonder if this isn't one of his most potent weapons, how, you know, to make us think we're in control. I mean, you, you ask yourself this question, how in control are you, really? Are you controlling what's happening in the cellular structure of your body right now, really? You control your children's future? You control tonight? Do you know what's going to happen when you leave here? I mean, where do we get this idea that we're in control, you see? We think we are. And when we think about it this way, I think Jesus' invitation to follow him is actually a gift. Think about it this way. Because Jesus comes along and says, follow me. In other words, he says, I got this. I got your life because I'm in control. So follow me and breathe. It's a gift of grace to follow Christ. By the way, I called it an invitation. Let me clarify that because literally it's a command. This is no, would you think about it? I'd love for you to. No, it's a command. It's an imperative. Follow me. You know, by way of application, I, I want to note this. You know, in, in your program, in the middle section, there's a little byline here called follow at fellowship groups. Speaking of groups, this is a group. These are groups that Mark Irving heads up, and you may need to contact him because he takes John 1.17, and he will take couples nine months through what it means to follow Jesus. Not for everyone, but I think for some of you. I want to encourage you to give Mark a call. Well, it's a command, follow him, and it leads us to another command in the second part. Look at verses 20 to 28. It says immediately, or 21 to 28, they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority. Please note that word, authority, and not as the scribes. Just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. He was demon-possessed, and he cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. We're going run to run into this over and over again, by the way, in Mark. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. Throwing him into a convulsion, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. They were all amazed so that they debated among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with, what's the word? Say it out loud. Authority, mark that word. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Immediately news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. 
the section is framed like this, authority, authority. He teaches with authority, they are amazed. By the way, that word amazed, it, it, it's, you know, they are, it's like getting knocked upside the head to the degree that they're terrified. It's deep amazement, astonishment. It ends with authority as he casts out this demon. Authority is the right and the might to do. The right and the might to do. The only authority the scribes had when they read the, the law were previous rabbis. And so it was like case law. So, so normally in the synagogue, the rabbi would read it, a teacher would read it and would go, well, rabbi so-and-so said this and rabbi so-and-so said this and rabbi so-and-so said this. And that's how they built their understanding and interpretation of the law. Jesus stands up and doesn't cite anyone. We don't know what he said, but it obviously struck them. He's not quoting anyone. He's saying, this is what it says, this is what it means, period. He says five Greek words to a demon. Usually they got this crazy incantation and nutty stuff they'll do to you know, shake out the demon. Jesus literally looks at the, the man the, the possessed by the demon and says, shut up, come out of him. Be muzzled, come out of him. And they're going, oh my, the authority in, notice this, the authority in this man's sword, in this man's words. Well, where does he get that authority? Isn't that the question? They're gonna, he's gonna be asked this. By what authority do you do? Where, where, where does he derive his authority? Don't go out of the text itself. Let's just stay right here. What we already know. Okay, where does he derive his authority? Here's what we read, chapter one, verse one, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christos, Messiah, the son of God, boom, you know, he's, he's the Messiah. He is the God man. Last week, we walked through his baptisms. The sky opens up and the voice from heaven, the father, God, the father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit in the form of a dove falls upon him. I mean, I can't be any clearer to the reader at least, right? Where does Jesus derive his authority? He doesn't derive it. He is it. You see that? He is it. He's the God man. He's got fully God, fully man. We can say it like this. His authority is inherent in his identity. If you don't get anything else this morning, get this. Jesus's authority is inherent, not derived. It's inherent in his identity. The word authority is the Greek ex, exousia, X out of the original. He's the original. <laughs> he doesn't need to cite anyone else. He's the author. It comes from him. I said earlier that the calling of the disciples always just struck me as odd, you know, this craziness that they would drop these things. Do people really do that? I mean, does that really happen? What really happened? Well, let's just take Mark at his word. This is what really happened. <laughs> this is what happened. I don't know all the details in here, but we can certainly say that in his voice, in his eyes, in his presence, you ever been in the presence of someone that you felt, I don't, you know, a God, man, they, 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 they recognized his authority. This isn't the first time they've met him, by the way. John's gospel tells us they'd met him before. They'd seen him do some things. They, they, they were aware of Jesus. But boy, his, the authority, all we can say is the authority of Jesus compelled them to follow, and they did. 
That's what it tells us. I would think it would be accurate for us to say that you and I, if you've been here the last three weeks, and if you've just read, let's just say the first 16 verses, know more about Jesus's identity than they did when they followed him. Because we, it's written for us, you see. We know who he is. They're gonna struggle with that in time. And so here's what confronts, <coughs> here's what confronts me. Let me offer this. Jesus commanded the demon and the demon obeyed immediately. Jesus commanded four fishermen and the four fishermen obeyed immediately. And Jesus commands me and you. And we... You know, even before you decide if you're gonna obey because you can't walk out of the room and go... I'm not sure what to do with that message because this is the message to us and he speaks to us today. Before you just have to decide, well, do, do, do I obey? Here's a, here's a question you've got to answer because this will answer it for you. How much authority does Jesus have? Let me ask it another way. For you, just, just, you got to answer this. How authoritative is Jesus? And you answer that and you've got, you got your answer to whether you obey or not. I assure you, we are not talking about a deputy from Cooperstown. And we're not talking about the guys in blue out here on Franklin Road. We are talking about The God-man who sits right now at the right hand of the throne of the Father with nail-pierced hands and feet, who bore our sin, who died on a cross, was buried, and rose again. I don't know of any other human being who's ever done that. And he did it for us. We're actually talking about, Colossians will say, uh, that through Jesus and to Jesus and for Jesus were all things created by the word of his mouth and he sustains all things by the word of his power. This is, this is who is speaking to you and speaks to me. And he says, follow me. And I will make you become fishers of men. Now, let me offer this last thought. You can't will yourself to do that. I mean, you can try. It might last a while, a few years. You feel like you're doing pretty good, but this is, this is you can't do this. But what Jesus commands, Jesus has already fulfilled. Jesus lived in perfect obedience to the authority of the Father. And therefore, if you've trusted Christ and he lives in you, in the person of the Holy Spirit, you see, Jesus lives in you, who perfectly submitted to authority, and therefore in Christ, you can follow. <laughs> Not on your own, oh my, but in Christ, you can. Speaking of following and authority and what that looks like in a life. I want to invite Bill up here, Bill Wellens, to join me and 
You got an email this week. Some of you, if you're on the first and third list, uh, some of you may not. And so Bill's going to be our so what today as we think about the authority of Christ. I get to uh, share today as we are in Mark chapter one, this section of what it looks like to follow Jesus and to trust his authority in our lives. I've I've wrestled greatly with that in recent months. What is what does it mean uh, to to follow him? What does it look like? And, And he is inviting us to do that in a new way. It was just a, a couple of months ago, maybe three months ago, that Hillary and I uh, got together, we do this annually, and talked about uh, kind of where we are, how we're doing, uh, how we're doing our marriage, how we're doing with our kids, uh, how we're doing in the ministry, the work that God's called us to, and um, and in the conversation about the work piece, the vocation piece, it, it just kind of lingered with us. Typically, it would be we talk about it, spend a couple of days on it, pray about it, and there'd be this kind of re-up energy, you know, ready to go again, let's go, and, and keep moving forward. And, and this year, that conversation, it just kind of lingered. It just stayed, and we were a couple of weeks in, and, uh, and I remember looking at Hillary going, this conversation is still here. She, yeah, you're right. And so we started praying about it. And we met on the front porch early in the mornings and, and, uh, and prayed for, for many days, for a few weeks. And, and it was at the end of that time that uh, it was just so clear to both of us. And, and it was just simply this, that, that my time in ministry at Fellowship was done. It's just that simple, just that I had been uh, released from the work here. And uh, by release, I don't mean like released from prison. I, I, don't, I don't mean that. Like free, just freed up from, from what God, it's like the work is done. It's time. It's time to move on and, and do something new. That was not something necessarily that we anticipated, something that we wrestled with. Is this God? Is this his authority? Does this what it looks like to follow him? You know, does it, is it better to follow him in ministry or better to follow him, him in the marketplace? And of course, it's just to follow him, right? That's it. It's just to follow him as he leads. And, and you know, when I, I moved here uh, 17 years ago to help plant a church, I never imagined that we would be here 17 years. I came, I was a pastoral resident. That is long for intern. That's what I came to do here. It was an incredible year here. At the end of that year, I was asked to stay. And and I'm so glad that I did. But even then, I, I never imagined that I would be here this long. And all those things that drew me in those early days and have continued to draw me uh, over the years, that energy for, for new ministry, the launch of it, the growth of it, the opportunities to go to Nashville and Franklin and these places, all, all of those things, that, that energy is just still in me. I still have that honor entrepreneurial thing. And I just need to go start and grow and build and, and lead something new. We want, we want to stay here in Nashville. We will stay here in Nashville, at least according to our plan. And our kids do. And, and so I'm hoping to find that, that opportunity, idea, my own idea, whatever, to, to build something again in, in a very similar way, just in a different kind of a, a seat. I will tell you this, it's, um, it's terribly mixed emotions as I stand here today. Um, there is a tremendous amount of gratitude, you know, to be able to have worked here, to be one of your pastors, uh, to be provided for and cared for by a group of elders, by you. You've paid my salary to do a job that I have just so enjoyed doing. There's 
Um, there's, you've trusted me in, in, uh, in places uh, where I probably haven't earned trust, uh, trusted me in places where I certainly didn't deserve it, but, but you did. I have so many memories. I mean, it's just been unbelievable as I've reflected some on the years, how many memories I have of just these little moments like a prayer right before a wedding ceremony with a bride and groom or a, a conversation just for a couple of minutes in a horse trough uh, about to baptize somebody or these big crazy things, um, you know, launching something in Nashville or this baptism on the lawn where a ton of people trusted Christ and a ton were baptized. It just all these memories are flooding back. And I just have a tremendous amount of gratitude that the Lord would have me here with you for these years. So I feel that I, I certainly feel sadness. Well, this is the mixed bag part. Uh, this is so surreal. I told somebody just a minute ago, this is the first time I've stood up here on the platform and was just hoping that it would get over quick. That's the first time I've ever felt that. And it's surreal. There's some parts of it that are hard. It's, uh, I'm, I'm mixed about what to say, how to say it, all, all those kinds of things. And, and there's sadness, I, I think, kind of in two categories. One is that I will miss this with you, this kind of interaction where we're opening God's word together and we're watching what God does in our life and we're trying to apply it together, even as I am now. I'll miss this kind of relationship, seeing God at work in your life and mine. And, and I will miss, uh, at least in my pastoral role, I'll miss bumping into you in, in the community. We, we've bumped into each other all over the place, uh, some crazy places, some normal places. There are restaurants. I saw a guy walk in earlier. I see him at uh, Bar Taco like, twice a month. It's unbelievable. We're always in there at the same time. Um, uh, uh, I've seen some of you at Justin Bieber concerts. Don't deny it. I, I have seen you and I've been there as well. Um, some of you have come up and uh, stood beside me and talked to me at the urinal. That's awkward. Just a little bit awkward. <laughs> But it's been good. I love hearing what God's uh, doing in your life. I, I do. I love having the chance to pray with you, not at the urinal, but afterwards. Um, I, I do. I enjoy that uh, so much, and I hope some of that will will continue. So there, there is certainly sadness uh, all over the place, and, and, and there is some, some joy for sure, some excitement, some peace about the decision. I really feel affirmed by the Lord in one particular way. Uh, Hillary and I included our kids all along the way in the process and talking about fears and what's going to feel like at church and, and you know, all these different things. And, um, and, and the first time we sat with them, we sat with them individually. And so we sat with Lily first and, and we talked, um, for a long time, 45 minutes or an hour about all, all kinds of different things and emotions and that, and that sort of thing. And at the end of it, Lily looked at me and she said to me, she said, she said, dad, is this what you want? And I said, you know, it really is. In this day, in this season, this is really what I want. And she looked at me and she said, she's 16, she said, then I'm in. And I just went, oh, Lord, thank you so much. Then I sat with Emma, Hillary and I sat with Emma, and Emma's our uh, 14, she's about to be 15, she's a freshman in high school. And uh, we sat with her and, I, and we told her the same thing. We had this great conversation and, and every kid's a little different in the way that they process it. And at the end of this time, um, I, I really didn't, I couldn't read Emma. You know, these times with your kids where it's just like, you can't, I'm not quite sure what's going on. It's pretty atypical. You kind of have a feeling, but in this one, I had no idea if she was uh, about to burst into tears, if she was going to slug me in the face. I, I had no idea what, what was about to happen. And she looked at, at us and she said, dad, I'm ready for an adventure. 
I mean, she understood the risk, the faith, how things might be different. And Lord had been doing something in her heart. She said, the last few weeks, I've just been thinking about this. I wonder what the Lord has for us, and I'm ready for a new adventure. And I was so grateful for that. And then, and then we sat with Wit. Wit's 10. Um, Wit, Wit um, he has a very unique faith, a, a mature faith uh, for a 10-year-old. And and um, uh, he was baptized this summer. I shared some of that really neat interaction with him around that. And and uh, so on this day, we talked about it. We talked it all through. And, and he looked at us and he said, uh, can we still go on vacations? You know, like, yeah, we, we're, I hope so. Yeah, we'll probably be like Shreveport instead of the beach. But, you know, we'll go somewhere. Yeah. And uh, we were talking it all through. And, and, uh, and then at the end of it, um, uh, Witt just said to me, and, and this got me so cracked up. But he looked at me and he said, well, well did you pray about it? That's a good question. Yeah, yeah, we did. We took some time to pray about it. And then he looked at me and he said, well, what'd you sense God saying to you? <laughs> well, well, I'm not sure now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, great question. I, I, yeah, well, I sense this is where we're going. This is what we should do. And then he said, well, I guess you better trust that then. That's what God said. Wow. Yeah, it really is that simple. It really is. What a, what a faith. And, and I'm so grateful for those times that were so affirming. Uh, I'll share these two things with you briefly. I, I've been thinking a ton about what I'd thank you for or what I'm grateful for or what I've learned from you. I had the chance this week to do that with our team leaders, just go around the circle and go, I've learned this from you and this from you. And I'd love to do that with some of you uh, even soon. But what is a whole, what have I learned from the body? Well, two things came to mind immediately. The first is this. I, I've learned from you how to love people of every race, every nation, and every land. I mean, you love people. It's, it just is unbelievable to me to watch the energy in you for the world, for disaster relief, for peoples in town, for um, peoples all across our, our planet, for our global partners, your generosity toward them. I feel like when I stand up here and talk about things like global Christmas and talk about less on archery, more for the world, and how we do that, I, I always feel like my leadership is so... Um, small in compared to the energy that comes back, your response. I, I have truly learned to love the world differently through you. You're unique in that way. And the second thing I would say is that this is the first place that I have been both known truly and loved at the same time. This one's more personal. I've had the opportunity to stand up here and be vulnerable about my own life, uh, my depression, anxiety, uh, challenges, struggles, decisions that have been very difficult, people that have been difficult, all those kinds of things. And instead of shying away from me when I've shared some of those things, because you feel that fear when you do, you've stepped toward me and engaged me, cared for me and encouraged me. And so I've known love in a very unique way from you. And I'm really grateful for that. And I, I might just uh, end today with, with a word of exhortation uh, to you. Uh, you know, uh, I've, I marvel at the authority of God, the work that only God can do. We, we have this internal value at fellowship where we want to live in such a way that we stand back and we're wowed by God. He does what only he can do. And, and so I think about his amazing authority over all these years, authority to do things that, that we could have never imagined. I, I wouldn't have believed in the high school with just a few people that I'd be standing in front of a room like this one day. I had no idea that that would be true. So amazed by his power and captivated by his purpose. I still am. You know this? My purpose doesn't change at all. I just sit in a different seat to do it. Your, your purpose doesn't change at all when you change jobs. 
We just sit in different places where God might use us in, in different ways to accomplish the same thing. That is to proclaim Christ, to follow him, and to submit to his authority. And so I, I would just offer you this right now. I, I desire more than anything in the world to submit to his authority in my life. It looks like this today. I desire more than anything in the world to follow him with my whole heart. It looks like this today. And I would exhort you to do the same. Mm -hmm. You see, life is found, true life is found at the nexus of following in authority and risk and faith. Mm -hmm. So I would invite you to do the same. I love you and I will love you always. Mm -hmm. It's the truth. Thanks, Bill. Um, we are going to have a, stay here behind me, we're going to have a reception for Bill. So, you know, we'll have an opportunity to say a few words to him coming up. Uh, the elders are working on that. So I want you to know that I want to say a few words here in a moment. But I do want you to know we're not going to have the opportunity congregationally to just say, Bill, we're grateful for who you are and, and what you've done. And so I want to invite us in this moment to let Bill know what we think of him and that we're grateful for his life. I do. say, if you'll stand for a moment, a, a few words, if I can. Uh, Bill was 25 years old when he stepped into my office. When he was 27 years old, he was sitting with the Brentwood City Council navigating a rezoning for this land. Is and I'm only 29 now. Now, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not long. We, uh, he negotiated the, the deal with Mr. King. Uh, you're sitting in a place that uh, Bill oversaw. Uh, certainly teams did it, but someone has to take the point on it. Uh, there was a season of life here at this church, leadership crises we've been through and will go through, that Bill took the lead on. And I will tell you that I'm standing here in front of you today because of Bill, from a human standpoint, that I would have I quit. I couldn't have done it, but he stepped up in some places to take the, the bugs in his teeth. And quite frankly, Bill has lost some teeth over the years because you don't serve the way he has without some really hard criticism and hurt, both within these walls and outside of them. Uh, you know, we would, we, we would not be in Franklin. There's a congregation down there meeting. It's about 800 people. And of course, Bill assembled the team and he didn't do it alone, but it was Bill who oversaw that and put the energy behind it. And as we're standing here today, there will be over 200 people at Waverly Belmont School in Nashville. You do understand a year ago, we, we let a leader go there and that core group was on life support. And so it was Bill who stepped in, in the midst of leading a leadership team, leading an elder team, overseeing the organization as a whole. Not me, not Michael, Bill, and chose to go up there. And, and so his Sundays, you know what they've looked like for the last nine months? Leadership here, the weekends he taught here, every Sunday night, he's up there at 4.30 in the afternoon leading or teaching that group and got them to this point 
of launch. Never doing any of these things alone, I don't want you to hear that, but leading teams that would. I get credit, you all, for a lot of stuff I don't have anything to do with, but you look at me and think I, I don't get, you know, I get that credit. I mean this, and Bill's the opposite. He doesn't get the credit for the amazing places and the places you'd never know that he served us, served me, and served this team. And he's done so even as he does now. How about this, to stand here with a humble heart, with a heart of gratitude, with a heart captured by the grace of the gospel. And I am extremely grateful for that. I'm gonna pray for him, and I'm gonna ask a few of you to come up and join me. Bill, stand up here. And of course, uh, Hillary, you and the kids come up and stand with Bill. And if you wanna come up and stand by Bill, just, you're gonna have to go out of the aisle and come up here, and you're gonna have to do it quick. Come on up, just come stand, and you can put a hand behind the family if you like. I'll lead in the prayer. Jump on up here. Please do. Just come on up. I know some of you are buried deep in the aisle. That's okay. But if you're not and you want to, just come up. Put a hand uh, behind him, around him. And I'll ask all of us to do this, if you don't mind, if you feel comfortable enough to extend a hand out, even as mine is out, toward Bill. And I'll lead us in prayer. You guys keep coming. You're fine. Gracious Heavenly Father, our hands are extended to Bill and Hillary, Lily, Emma, and Whit because they are us and we love them and you love them. We thank you as we look back that we see an amazing gift to this body. And so we're so grateful. When we look forward, I'll speak for me, I grieve and there is deep sadness. But there's a tremendous amount of confidence because you are authoritative and they are responding to you. Would your face be toward them in amazing and gracious and surprising ways? Provide and bless and encourage and affirm as only you can. We rest in your control, in your goodness and kindness toward us and them because of the Lord Jesus Christ in whose name we pray, amen and amen.